Find other great podcasts like this one at podmoth.network. Welcome to Bad Axe Podcast. I'm your host, Danielle Blinka. And I'm your co-host, Aaron. Bad Axe is brought to you by the Podmoth Media Network. Check out Podmoth for more great podcasts. As always, you can support the show and get months worth of bingeable content over at patreon.com backslash badaxepod. There is a link in our show notes and membership start at just $1. You can also support the show for free by leaving us a positive review and telling a friend about us. Now, on to today's case. Today, we are going to San Angelo, Texas. Nice. San Angelo is a city in central Texas, sort of. It's kind of central west, with around 100,000 residents. It's located on the Concho River and is thriving with arts and culture. Although the events today take place in San Angelo, or at least the San Angelo area, Our subject today didn't actually live there. Interesting. 41-year-old Eric Torres actually lived in Abilene, Texas, which is about one and a half hours away from San Angelo by highway. Eric lived with his four-year-old daughter, Emilise, which is an adorable name. That is adorable. And he supported his family by owning his own construction business. He enjoyed playing golf and traveling, and his family say that he liked meeting new people. He seemed like a very fun person. Eric shared his daughter with his 28-year-old ex, Kristen Dean. At the time, though, her name was Kristen Jennings. And the couple also had another child, a son that Kristen retained custody of, and their son's name was Xavier. Dean had since moved on from their relationship and was married to 34-year-old Stephen Lynn Jennings. At the time of this incident, Kristen was still going by the name Kristen Jennings. Kristen didn't like the fact that her daughter still lived with Eric, her ex. However, she'd had a problem regaining custody of the little girl. It's unclear why, but she says that she had gone through legal ways but had been unsuccessful. And she and her husband were at least an occasional user of meth because they had a drug dealer that we'll meet in just a little while. So it's possible it has something to do with that, but I'm not completely sure. But we do know that she was fed up with trying to deal with the legal system. Because on July 19th, 2017, Kristen posted about her frustrations on Facebook. In that post, Kristen wrote that she was, quote, seriously done, unquote, with the, quote, legal way, unquote, of regaining custody. Well, that's a red flag. A big red flag. Because I'm not sure what the illegal way of regaining custody is going to be. Well, I am now. But there's no good options here. Yeah, exactly. It's not going to end well. No. And also, maybe the reason why you're having trouble with the legal way quote unquote, of gaining (laughs) custody is the same reason, is the same thing that's making you decide to go outside the system. Yep. They're related, I'm just going to say. Yep. Well, because she was so tired of dealing with this whole legal business, 
she and her husband, Stephen, hatched a plan. Stephen Jennings asked his father, Gary Jennings, to help the couple steal back Kristen and Eric's daughter, Emilise. On July 20th, 2017, Stephen texted Eric, posing as a man named Daryl. Now, I am going to be using the name Daryl to refer to these text messages, just so you know what Eric is thinking as he's receiving the messages. But keep in mind that every time I say Daryl, it is really Stephen behind the phone. Daryl told Eric about a potential construction job and asked to meet up with him in Abilene. Remember, Eric owns his own construction business and he's supporting a family here. So a job is good news. So he agrees to meet Daryl in order to find out about this work. According to the text, Daryl said that he owned properties that needed work. So this sounds like a good deal. Absolutely. Eric showed up at the meeting spot, but wouldn't you know it, Daryl texted him to say that he could not come. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Daryl didn't show up. Now, Eric is thinking, okay, something happened. He had an excuse, and he just decides to go back home. Well, unbeknownst to Eric, this meeting was a trap. Uh-huh. And as Eric left to go back home... Stephen and his father, Gary, followed him back to his house. Now, they did not know exactly where he was living with Emilise at this time. So they're trying to figure out his address so they can try to kidnap this child. However, Stephen and Gary lost track of him as they were following him home. Which is kind of good for Eric. Good. Yeah. Because he made it home safely. But I would just like to point out that they are very dumb. Yeah, for real. Like, this is such a stupid plan. But that was their plan, and it, it failed, like, immediately. And what's really weird, it's like the simplest plan possible. Just You just follow him in your car, but they, they still did not do that correctly. Yeah, for real. Unfortunately, though, the wannabe killers were not going to be giving up on their plans so easily. I'm sure you're all shocked. <laughs> it's like a five-minute episode. Well, they tried to kill him. They didn't. The end. I know, right? Everything ends up happening. Yeah, nobody got kidnapped. It's fine. <laughs> um, yeah, so they did not give up on this plan quite so easily. In fact, they decided to proceed with plan number two, or you could say plan B, the next day, which was July 21st, 2017. Daryl texted Eric again. But this time, he asked Eric, to meet him in San Angelo to view the properties that needed work. Again, this was a trap. However, to Eric, this sounded normal because it's just a work trip. He's going to drive an hour and a half out of town, look at these properties, and hopefully get a job. Like, he's going to bid on this job, and he's hoping this is going to be a good job for him. At one point during this text exchange, Daryl even suggested that Eric bring his daughter Emilise so that she could play with his kids. Oh, God. Yeah. Man, that is... Ugh. It would certainly make it easier to kidnap the child. Wouldn't it, though? If he brought the child to them. Mm-hmm. I just... The audacity. Yeah. He's like, why don't you do half my work for me? Yeah, that's like the whole job. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. you just be like... Thank you. And then I guess lock the door. I don't know. I don't know what their follow up <laughs> plan is here. Because I mean, once you get the kiddo, it's not like everyone's just going to be like, oh, nuts. I know, right? I mean, be you like, would think. Yeah, you'd be like, well, I guess they got me. Yeah. Oh, oops. 
oops, I messed up. Well, that was a, I mean, they had to fire their shot, I guess. You know, you get, you miss all the shots you don't fire right or all the shots you don't take. That's right. I think that I'm Texasing a basketball metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> But it's just shoot right. all those, you miss all the shots you don't take, and so he's yeah. like, "I'm gonna take this shot," and he missed. He missed that time. He missed because Eric told Daryl that he was already at a work site because he has a real job and is doing work stuff, and he is coming straight from there. So it's not like he's at home with his kid or something. Like she's at daycare, he'd have to go get her. This doesn't even make sense. Yeah. So he's going to be a professional and go there without the child. Although I want to make a note that I think it's totally cool. If you bring your kid places, if I had a kid, I would probably try to do that too. Just being honest with you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> totally. So I'm not judging people who do that at all because I totally would do that if I had one, which I don't because, you know. Yeah. yeah. It's hard out here. Anyway. So, <laughs> so, so he goes by himself to do this bid on this job. Eric told his mom, Dolores Cortez, that he was going to San Angelo to meet a potential construction client. He asked if she could pick up his daughter, Emily's, from daycare later that day, and she agreed. Based on text messages, Kristen and Gary. Now, remember, Kristen is the mother of Emily's, and Gary is her father-in-law, Stephen's father had gone to Abilene together to abduct Eric's four-year-old daughter while he was distracted in San Angelo. Wow. Yeah, now this is a really fun plan. Now, cell phone pings showed that Kristen and Gary were not only in Abilene, but they were driving around Abilene that day, visiting local daycares, Hoping to find the child. Wait, were they just going from daycare to daycare? Trying yes. To, oh my God. Just rolling up at the daycare to ask if the child was there. Wow. That is their plan. That's a terrible plan. Uh, so unsurprisingly. It did you, not work. It did not work. They <laughs> they didn't even find her. Also, how many daycares are in Abilene? I mean, Probably a lot. Mm-hmm, there's one close to here. I I mean, if I had to try to find a daycare, like a child there, I mean, to be yeah. fair, we live in Houston, so there's a lot. But I would not be able to do that at all. Yeah. I mean, like, even if you just said, like, hey, go find a child that's at a daycare, like, within a five square mile radius of our house, I don't oh think gosh. we could do it. No, I would not be able to do it. Also, <laughs> just, I would feel so embarrassed having to walk in there like, hey, um... <laughs> Do you have any kids? Do you have any kids here? Like, do you have one that looks kind of like me? Like, I want. I would like to take that one if you have it. Like, I would just that one's yeah. mine. I would just just grab it if yeah. that's cool with everybody. Also, I don't. Can daycares just let anybody take the kids? I feel like no. I hope not. I'm pretty sure we learned that in Stranger Danger. You don't like just. I mean, she's yeah. not a stranger. I guess that's her bio mom. So maybe she she would like recognize her. But yeah. I mean. I don't know. I had a student when I was a teacher who had a parent with a court order against them, a restraining order, and you can't just like let them go. Like, no. you gotta be really careful. Yeah, and like I would think though, like after you would think that some of these people that that she went asking for would have mm-hmm. been like, "This is suspicious. I'm calling the cops." I know, right? Like, I mean, surely somebody called the cops and was yeah. just like, "Hey, this, 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 there's there's this random person asking for kids," <laughs> you know? It, it's, yeah, you know, it's it's like if like a random creepy dude is hanging out in a park where kids play like with sunglasses yeah. and a trench coat on and, and like a piece of candy. Pretty sure, you know? yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's just she's but, in a way she's kind of using her privilege because she's white. She's a white woman, uh, yeah. so maybe that's what it is. She's like using. <laughs> 
using her her like privilege mm. to try to take kids from daycares, <laughs> and no one reports her, which is terrible. I mean, I we laugh, but it is bad. Oh yeah, it's terrible. So maybe that's why no one called her, on her, but she that's what they were doing. Um, this is a plan, though, that was not working. They did not find her. So Stephen suggested a new plan over their text messages. Oh, God. He decided that they would lure Eric to the home that he and Kristen shared so that they could get the location out of him via any means necessary. Are you going to try to, like, torture this guy or interrogate him or some shit? Yes. Wow. Okay, given yes. given how badly they've been doing so far, what makes them think that they're going to interrogate anybody? Because that's just what people do when they're making bad choices. Yeah, a lot of bad choices going oh. on in this episode right For now. For realsies. Yeah. A lot of bad choices. And also, escalation. Yeah. So far. <laughs> so far, like, what are yeah. you even doing? And also, why would you invite him to your house? Like, mm. that's a red flag. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Now, later, Kristen claimed that she never wanted Eric at their home and that this was a change of plans and that Stephen just went forward with it. Stephen called his alleged drug dealer, David Navarro, to help him out. Navarro previously supplied the couple with meth. I had trouble finding information about David Navarro because Dave... Navarro is a rock musician. Yes, right? I had some struggles, everyone, but I got yeah. there. Yep. I was trying to find out like his stuff at the end. Yeah. It just keep, kept coming up, James Addiction. And I'm just like, <laughs> why is this happening to me in my life? Right. But yeah, so David Navarro is an alleged drug dealer, and he actually had admitted, though, that he gave them methamphetamines. Additionally, Stephen also asked the couple's sometimes babysitter, Angela Ray, to help as well. He asked Angela if her ex, Derek, would come help him deal with Eric. Yes, Derek and Eric. (laughs) And so she actually called him. But Derek, although he said yes, also expected money for help. He was like, yeah, man, like, we'll agree on a nice price. And then Stephen was like, nah, I'm not trying to pay for this. Oh, my God. So he just said no. He's just going to. Yes. Oh, my God. I mean, what is even happening? So Angela says that she encouraged Stephen to rethink the plan. Although, I mean, that's what she says now. And, however, she did agree to watch Kristen's young son while the couple carried on with their plan. So I don't know how you can say you tried to talk them out of it and then you also agreed to be the babysitter. Yeah. Also, after you got the kiddo, you could have called the police. Yep. That's an option. A lot of people don't know this in the stories that we do. But if someone tells you, I'm about to commit a crime, especially if that crime sounds like it's going to be as bad as this one, you can just call the police yep. and say, hi, my name is Angela and my friend is about to murder someone or my friend is probably going to kidnap someone later today. I think my friend is trying to torture his wife's ex. Should we do something about that? (laughs) And then sometimes, not always, sometimes the cops do something about that. And if they don't, that's at least not on you. At least you can say, well, I called the police. I told them about the crime. I can't help it if my cops are Unsolved Mysteries cops. (laughs) That's right. But at least there's probably like... A 60, 70% chance they go they go out there, yeah. probably. Especially if you're talking about kidnapping or murder or mm-hmm, something like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel like the cops would investigate that. And I like to believe that the San Angelo cops would have gone if she would have called. I feel like they would have. 
So I really think she should have called the police, but she did not make that choice. Instead, she just decided that she would be the babysitter. While Eric believed that he was going to San Angelo to talk about a job, in reality, he was driving directly to Stephen and Kristen's house. They lived at 7481 Duckworth Road in San Angelo, which is actually about six miles outside the city. It's a rural area with lots of open fields. And right next to their house, there's a big old open field. It's a very small house. And I guess it would be called a ranch style. Like it's like a really compact house. When Eric arrived at the home, horror awaited him. Because co-conspirator David Navarro waited inside already for his arrival. He had slipped inside the home about 15 minutes before Eric Torres pulled up after, just after about 1 p.m., Before he walked into the door, Eric called his mother to tell her that he'd arrived. It was the last time that they ever spoke to each other. That's so sad. I know. And I would like to point out the fact that he called his mom when he got there, suggested they have a very close relationship. Yeah. Because, I mean, think about it when you're at work. How often do you call your mom to tell her that you're somewhere? Yeah, not very often. So it sounds like they must be really close. I mean, I know she's going to watch his daughter later, but it sounds like... That's a really close relationship that they have. Yeah. So just as a note, I noticed that. When Eric walked inside this home, Stephen and Navarro attacked him. Now, according to Navarro, who has a reason to you know soften his own role in events, he claims that he opened the door and let Eric in. Because, you know, again, Eric would recognize Stephen because that's his, you know, his ex's husband. Right. So Navarro opened the door, and when Eric walked in... Navarro claims that he, that he himself turned around and saw that Stephen was pointing a gun at both of them. Wow. Although, to be fair, again, he needs to minimize his role in this. So, a- according to authorities, they believe both men overpowered Eric together. Yeah. But regardless, Dave says that Stephen pulled a gun. Right. Then, the two of them, though, together, David and Stephen, brought Eric back to a back bedroom that they had essentially prepared for this. Now, it's unclear who prepared if it was just Stephen or if it was Stephen with helpers. But what they had done to this room is they had draped a blue tarp over the floor and then placed a chair in the center of it. Working together, Stephen and Navarro led Eric to this chair and then attempted to tie him up to it. Now, at this point, Eric started fighting back. But... Navarro admitted to punching him in the head to subdue him. Then they were able to wrap him up with red rope, some wire, and some duct tape. Now, it's important to note that at some point during this, there was a video made of Eric's kidnapping where he was visible in this chair tied up and he and Navarro were arguing and Navarro is seen punching him. Yeah. So a witness did see that, and we're going to talk about that later, but the video was deleted, so it was not recovered as evidence. But allegedly, this video does exist, so we do know that Navarro did play a part in the beating, even though he kind of seems to be minimizing his role. Yeah. The co-conspirators, predominantly Stephen and David Navarro, beat Eric during this torture session, leaving bruises on his face. Now, again... What they wanted was to know where the little girl was in daycare so that she could be kidnapped. That's what they're trying to get out of him. And while they were doing this, they actually took photos of him. In addition to the video, photos were taken of him with bruises visible. And some of these photos were recovered later by authorities. Yeah. 
In addition to beating on Eric, the pair also waterboarded him. Oh my God. In an attempt to get this information. Yeah. Jesus. And this was things admitted to in uh, Navarro's statement. Wow. They waterboarded him to get this information. Man, that is fucked up. Yeah. And again, this is so they can kidnap the daughter. Later, Navarro did try to say that he didn't remember all of what happened that day because he said that he had been using methamphetamine already that day and that he was basically, uh, I guess, high. We've talked about this before. Yeah, that doesn't excuse you from the crime. Yeah. Yep. However, he did remember Stephen telling him that he'd been that he would be the alibi for both himself and Gary if the police questioned him. So basically, if, you know, because Eric has been murdered at some point or tortured or whatever it is they're planning on doing, and the police are like, hey, did you guys do this? You look like good suspects. Then David could say, oh, they're with me. Right. Because that's going to work. Yeah. They're just going to stop. That always works, yeah. Yeah, every time. Yeah. This abuse went on for about an hour or over an hour And at that point, Eric finally gave them the information they wanted. He told them that his daughter attended a daycare at Pioneer Baptist Church. At that point, they did not kill Eric yet because they wanted to make sure they had the little girl. So Kristen and Gary rushed to the church to pick her up from this daycare. But they came up empty-handed because, as it turns out, Dolores Cortez, who remembers Eric's mother, had picked up her granddaughter shortly before... Kristen and Gary arrived. Nice. That's really not lucky. You would think. So she'd already picked them up, picked up the little girl, and had brought her back to Eric's house where the little girl lived. So at that point, Stephen's like, like, (laughs) I didn't get what I wanted. So he demanded to know the address where they could find the child. And again, he's being tortured. And so Eric did tell them that his mother picked up the daughter and brought her back to his home. Now, I know it kind of, I, I know he's like trying to protect his daughter and then maybe you might be thinking like why did he give up the information? Even though I don't think that's appropriate for us to speculate since he's being tortured and we don't know what we would do. Yeah. But this is Kristen's daughter and they're even though they don't have they should not be trying to kidnap the kid and steal it away and I don't think that they're like great parents or anything. I'm not trying to be insulting them, but, like, I'm going to because they're bad people. But, I mean, be serious. So, they're obviously not good parents because they're doing all this. And, but I think that he knew that she wasn't trying to, like, kill Emily's. And, like, being serious, she's not going to be able to keep her for very long. So, it's not like the cops are going to be like, oh, you murdered her dad? Okay. You know, so I feel like he feels comfortable knowing that it makes sense to end the torture by just telling them where she is because... They're not going to hurt Emily's in the time that it would take for the, for the authorities to realize what's, what's going all on. going on. Yeah, exactly. So that, at this point, though, they know where Eric's house is. So next, Kristen and Gary drove over to Eric's house. There, his mother was caring for his daughter Emily's since she had just picked up the child. Stephen gave the address to Kristen and Gary, and they got there at around 4.45 p.m., They stormed into the house and assaulted Eric's mother, Dolores Cortez. Oh, no. Yes. And Miss Cortez says that Kristen pushed her to the ground. And she had, like, bruises and injuries from this. Jesus. And then they took the little girl who did not want to go with her mother, according to her grandmother. Miss Cortez immediately called Eric as soon as they left. But, of course, her calls kept going to voicemail. Next, after she realized that she couldn't get through to Eric... 
She called the Abilene Police Department to report that Kristen came into her home uninvited and kidnapped the little girl. However, the police told her that the biological mother had the right to take her child since there wasn't a formal custody agreement. What? Yeah, so apparently, according to the Abilene police, you can just storm into someone's house and take a child out. Jesus. And I get it that they don't have a formal custody agreement, but she already had admitted that they had been in court proceedings and that she had been struggling to get her daughter back legally. Yep. And also, she's breaking and entering. Yep. I'm just not seeing... Yeah, and assaulting. How is that not a problem? I'm just not seeing how the police were just like, nothing we can do. Even for, like, burglary and assault? You would think so, right? You would think so. So maybe don't call the Abilene police. Right. But I'm pretty sure the San Angelo police would have done better. I'm just speculating on that, but it just feels like they would have done better. Absolutely. Maybe they would have at least asked a question. Yeah, or two. Or two questions, maybe. At least looked into this assault situation. I'm just not seeing how that's allowed, but okay. Next, at this point, Miss Cortez is not just finishing. She's not going to say, oh, well, I guess there's nothing I can do. Right. She thinks that Eric is at a work job. Remember, she thinks he's out of town working. And so she's thinking that might be why his phone is off. So she called the phone number for Daryl. Uh-oh. Because she had uh, her son's second phone. I believe he had two phones for some reason for, like, his job stuff. So she had seen some of the messages for Daryl. So she calls Daryl, and the man on the other end of the line, who, remember, is actually Stephen, suggested to Miss Cortez that Eric might be driving around town just, you know, doing stuff. What? Yeah. You know, he's just out doing stuff. He's yeah. out going out about town. Well, that sounds suspicious. Yeah. So she doesn't have anything else to go on at this point. And remember, she has no reason to suspect that Eric is in trouble. She just thinks he's at work. And so she just tries to do what she can on her end. Meanwhile, within an hour of the kidnapping, the kidnapping of the daughter, I should specify, because both of them have been kidnapped at this point. Yep. Within an hour of Emilise's kidnapping, Stephen and Kristen, oh, sorry, Stephen called Kristen and told her that Eric was deceased. Wow. And he had died from a gunshot wound to the left side of his head. Fuck. Yeah. Isn't that wild? Just outrageous. That's awful. It's so terrible. And for no, literally no reason. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Exactly. It's unclear, technically, who shot Eric Torres, although everyone's pretty sure they know. Because Navarro later testified that he left while Eric was still alive. We have no reason to believe him. But the circumstances do indicate that it was probably Stephen. Because we know that Kristen wasn't at the scene at the time. And Gary had been with Kristen with the, all the other circumstances and with who had the gun and was doing what, when, where, why, authorities believe that Stephen is the one who pulled the trigger. I think that makes sense. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, it doesn't really matter because they're all involved in this crime. So they're all equally considered guilty under the law in Texas. Because remember, this is Texas where all this is happening. That's right, y'all. However, I know we have like the blanket laws. They don't always work. But in this case, screw these people. They suck. Yeah. Uh, but they're pretty sure it was... Stephen that pulled the trigger. Later, though, uh, and later also, I should say, Gary Jennings also agreed that his son was the trigger man. So either he's throwing his son under the bus or that's what happened. The signal on Eric's phone died at around 5.40 p.m. And at that time, it was still pinging at the Jennings home. They also did not, it never occurred to anybody that having cell phone pings everywhere 
was going to come back to bite him because the prosecution had a lot of pings. <laughs> they pinged everyone's phone at where everyone was for like two or three days and had a whole like map. Yeah, they had of, like a big ass chart. Oh yeah, where everybody <laughs> was because also in a moment, just FYI, they're going to go try and get rid of this body and they're going to bring their cell phones so there's going to be some more pings. <laughs> when Kristen and Gary got back to the San Angelo area, Kristen took four-year-old Emilise to Angela Ray's home. Because remember, Angela already had Kristen's younger son, Xavier. Kristen and her children stayed with Angela overnight on July 21st for no reason. <laughs> not because there was somebody getting rid of a body at her house. That's not why. It was just, you know, fun reasons. Because that's what adults do. They have adult sleepovers after they kidnap their child. Yep. Meanwhile, Gary joined Stephen in dealing with Eric's body. Because at that point, Navarro had left. Later that evening, Stephen and Gary Jennings went to Home Depot to buy what some might view as a murder kit. Surveillance footage showed them purchase latex gloves, heavy-duty duct tape, blue self-adhesive plastic film carpet protector, and bleach. After the murder, these co-conspirators, namely probably Stephen and Gary, we know for sure Stephen because phones, dumped Eric's body in a pasture near Barnhart, Texas. They placed it about 289 feet from the fence of the pasture so it'd be harder to see. And again, cell phone records show that Stephen was in the area of this body dump on the afternoon of July 22nd, the day after the murder, which is also when authorities believe he disposed of Eric's body. The body would remain there undiscovered for 14 days. So put a pin in that. Now, we have to go back to immediately after Kristen and Gary kidnapped Eric's daughter because Eric's mother, Dolores Cortez, continued searching for her son into the next day after his disappearance. She even called local law enforcement agencies to see if they had pulled him over or if maybe he had gotten arrested somehow. Like, not that she had a reason, but just thinking, what if that's what happened? Well, yeah. Maybe he had an accident. Where is her son? Right, you check the jails and the hospitals. Exactly, but yeah. she couldn't find him anywhere. Finally, Miss Cortez was, was able to report Eric missing on July 24th, which was three days after she last saw him. Police did a welfare check on Eric's home at that time, but, surprise, he wasn't there. Uh-huh. Now, as we've discussed on some of these other welfare checks, there's times when they just go and kind of knock, and that's what it sounds like happened here, where they went and they were like, no one's home. I don't know what to do now. I guess I shall leave. Yep. Maybe they looked in a window, but it does look like they kind of just verified that he wasn't there, and then were like, no welfare here. But this also was kind of... You know, a red flag at this point. Now, fortunately, investigators were able to check Eric's cell phone records, which showed that his phone last pinged at the address where his ex, Kristen, and her husband, Stephen, lived. Suspicious. This was a red flag. Yes, very, very suspicious. And so this is where question marks start flying everywhere. Because at this point, police had finally started investigating Kristen for burglarizing Eric's home on the day she took her daughter. Points. Good, finally. Finally, someone was like, oh wait, that part is a crime. Oh no. Wait, this is a crime? Yeah, you can't push people down and, and barge into houses and whatnot. So at this point, they're like, okay, Kristen did some stuff. Something's going on with the ex. We're gonna go figure out what is going on right now. So Kristen claimed to the police that Eric had not been out to her property recently. She does not know how the phone pings work. Yep. 
Because she could have made up a lie. I'm not rooting for her. You know, I was going to say F her, but I'm trying to minimize the language because, you know, in real life, I say a lot of words. But screw her. But she didn't make up a lie. I think she doesn't understand the pinks. So she told them that he hadn't been out there, even though they know that he had. However, she did admit that her two children were in her home playing. So they know she still has the little girl. Right. Authorities eventually located Eric's F-150 truck abandoned in the parking lot of a Walmart where it had sat for several days. So we have more red flags emerging. Yep. Their investigation, of course, just kept leading them back to the Jennings family. Authorities ended up arresting Kristen, Stephen, and Gary on July 28th, 2017. And remember, Stephen and Gary are father and son. Their last name is Jennings. Kristen is Stephen's wife. Later, they picked up Navarro and Ray. Investigators conducted three separate searches on the Jennings home. And these searches occurred on July 25th and 27th. Both those two are before the arrests were made. And then on August 11th, 2017. During their searches, they found hair and blood belonging to Eric on both the walls and on a mop bucket. The mop bucket may have been used to clean up, but also there was rumored to be the bucket of water, a bucket of water of some sort that was used in the waterboarding. So it's possible it could have been this bucket, but we know that they tried to clean up the scene because it sounds like when I say hair and blood, it sounds like it's like noticeable, but they did do some extensive cleaning because we'll later find out that they didn't have a ton of DNA evidence. They just had some DNA evidence. Yeah. So they did do extensive cleaning with that bleach that they bought at the, at the Home Depot. Unfortunately, at that point, investigators still had not located Eric's body, or at least during the first two searches, they had not. However, that would all change on August 4th, 2017, when interviews and evidence led the police to the pasture in Barnhart where Jennings dumped Eric's body. Sadly, the remains showed signs of animal activity and also advanced decomposition from being exposed to extreme weather. The only clothes that Eric had on at the time his body was discovered were his khaki shorts that he was wearing at the time he disappeared. Wow. Dr. Thomas Parsons performed an autopsy on Eric's body on August 7th, 2017. He found Eric's cause of death to be a gunshot to the front of his head, and he also had a gunshot wound on his hand, probably a defensive wound. Right. The bullet traveled from the left of his scalp out his left eye. So it wasn't like a big, you know, wound. Like it was like just on the left side. However, the state of the body prevented the doctor from determining the type of bullet and the distance from which it was fired. Police searched the property where they found Eric's body, but they did not find the blue tarp, duct tape, or any other evidence that linked the Jennings family to the murders. However... By that point, they already had a solid body of evidence with the DNA and the phone pings and all of that. And they also had surveillance footage of them moving from place to place. So they didn't have like footage of them doing the murder. I mean, at one point there was a video that got deleted. But they did have surveillance footage from like the murder kit purchase on the night of and like where certain people were at different times, if that makes any sense, like going into gas stations and like, like for instance, Stephen went to like a business on the way out to Barnhart. So they had that to kind of track his progress and to show that he was actually headed out there. Right. Authorities charged Stephen Jennings with capital murder, aggravated kidnapping, and tampering with a corpse to impair evidence in 2017. 
he pleaded not guilty to all charges. Prosecutors initially charged Kristen with burglary of a habitation, engaging in organized criminal activity murder, and aggravated assault. Later on, they added capital murder and aggravated kidnapping. Gary Jennings was initially charged with tamper or fabricate with physical evidence with intent to impair, and later authorities added charges of murder and aggravated kidnapping. Prosecutors charged David Navarro with capital murder, aggravated kidnapping, assault causing family violence with prior conviction, and violation bond. And finally, they charged Angela Ray with engaging in organized criminal activity murder and aggravated kidnapping. Authorities and eventually decided to go with plea agreements for some of the defendants because they have five and they had good evidence. But the question was, was it good enough evidence? And if you recall, they believed that Stephen was the shooter. And so Stephen was the one they wanted the most. They also kind of wanted Gary a lot. So they decided to offer plea agreements to Kristen, David, and Angela in an attempts to get them to testify against Stephen in his case. Hmm. So that is what ended up happening because all three of them decided to take the pleas. But they all got different agreements. So I'm going to tell you what their agreements are. David Navarro's plea agreement includes 25 years in prison and he will not get a capital murder charge. Kristen Dean's agreement includes 30 years in prison for a murder charge and 20 years for aggravated assault. Angela Ray received a plea agreement for 10 years deferred adjudication, which is basically probation. And if she complies with the stipulations on this probation, she'll actually have her charge dismissed once it's complete. I'm not completely sure if she should have gotten that much of a sweetheart deal, considering that she could have stopped this if she would have called. But I mean, I get that they want them to testify. I don't know. I, the, the 25 years for David and the 30 years for Kristen kind of makes sense especially if she really didn't know that Stephen was going to kill him I don't know if I totally believe her but if if she's telling the truth that the plan changed then 30 years makes sense because again she's a co-conspirator and for those of you who do not know which I don't think there's anyone listening to this podcast who wouldn't know this because I don't see how that's possible since I know everyone listening is a is a true crime fan But in capital murder, especially in Texas, means that everyone is guilty. And since this is a capital murder, this is a capital murder case, all five of them could be charged with capital murder. And normally, Texas loves to do that. Oh, my God, they love it so much. It's like their favorite thing. Like, prosecutors here are like, yes, death penalty case. (laughs) And because it is, if you have capital murder, that's That's why they love doing it. They just love it so much. And even if they're not going to do the death penalty, usually they do that to, like, get people to plead out where they're like, we're going to do it. And it's Texas. And then people are just like, can we just not do that? Mm. How about I say I did it and y'all not do me, do me, put me to death. And then the prosecutor's like, oh, so funny you should ask. Which I don't completely agree with. Actually, we've talked about this. We're not really pro-death penalty, but we also understand why some people are. But again, it's just not our thing. But in this case, these three all got these deals. And maybe Angela should have gotten more, but who's who am I to say, I guess? Well, it's me. I'm, I'm, I'm me to say. I think she should have gotten more. At least like a year or so, right? That's right. I don't think that's unreasonable. In exchange for their guilty plea and testimony, the three of them also received immunity from further admissions, 
to to crimes, which was weird because I kept seeing that they got immunity for the police stuff. And I was like, surely not for all of it, because this is some bad stuff. Like I was about to get a protest sign or something if they got Mm. immunity for all of this. I know. Especially Dave and Navarro, who actively helped with like the torturing part and the kidnapping part. I was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. Yeah. I feel like there ought to be a special charge for torture somehow. Yeah, there is a special charge for torture. But I don't think, I guess it wasn't used here. I, or maybe that's just part of the capital murder part. Yeah. I guess I guess so. I don't know. I just feel like if you waterboard somebody, mm-hmm. that, that's really messed up. That's mess, It is messed up. All of it's messed up. But that is especially messed yeah. up. I mean, obviously murder is worse than waterboarding. But yeah. like, there's just something about it that just really bothers mm-hmm. me, you know? Yeah, it's really bad. And Yeah. O'Connor Orchid Estates Apartments, located in the center of the small town of Reading, Ohio, it is widely regarded as the world's most haunted location. Join world-renowned paranormal investigators Abigail Reynolds and Michael Colby as they immerse themselves into every aspect of life in this building and expose the truth of its horrific history. Join us for My Creepy Haunted Life. Jack Billings presents Haunted Apartment Complex, starring me, (laughs) Jack Billings, obviously. Damn it. How did you even get in here, Jack? Let's get spooky, crew. Stephen's trial was delayed, and partly because of DNA testing. There wasn't a lot of DNA material, and so the defense had complained about retesting issues. And this was especially problematic since there were five defendants, which meant five trials, which meant five sets of lawyers being like, but your daughter, my clients being, their rights are messed up because we can't get this DNA thrown out. Like, help us out, man. (laughs) And so eventually they they were able to resolve the DNA DNA issue and get it tested, but that took some time. Before his trial, prosecutors actually announced they'd be waiving the death penalty, which I was shocked about just because, like, again, it's not that I really, like, yay, death penalty, but at the same time, this was a torture murder and a kidnapping. Yep. And I was kind of surprised they didn't try to use it to broker a deal of some sort. But regardless, they decided not to do. Oh, you know what they might have done? I think you get better lawyers if you're if you're a death penalty trial. That makes sense. Maybe they didn't want them to get the really good lawyers. Yeah, that's a good. No point. offense to whoever lawyer it was. I don't have that. Actually, I think I do have that person's name. No offense to their lawyer. Um, I'm not saying that she's a bad lawyer, but maybe she doesn't have the the resources of whoever they would have gotten if it was death penalty. Yeah, that's actually really smart. That is smart. Okay. Especially with the fact that they already had this issue getting the DNA because it wasn't a lot of it. You know, just to be like, let's not get the best lawyer possible on this. Right. Let's just get a regular lawyer. Again, no offense. The trial officially began on December 6th, 2021, over four years after Eric's murder. District Attorney John Best presented the state's case, and Best used phone records and surveillance footage from nearby businesses to support the prosecution's timeline of events. During the trial, an ex-girlfriend and co-conspirator, uh, 
sorry, an ex-girlfriend of co-conspirator David Navarro, a woman named Katie McWilliams, testified that one year before the crime, she had heard Stephen say that he wanted to hurt Kristen's ex and scar him. Wow. He had frequently complained about Eric, and he claimed that Kristen told him that Eric had been physically abusive and he wanted to beat Eric in retaliation. I will note that there is no substantiated evidence of that, and so we don't want anyone to be victim-blaming at this point. In her testimony, Stephen's wife, Kristen, told the court that the group planned to kidnap Eric in order to steal her four-year-old daughter. However, she denied that they ever planned to kill him. She said, quote, The original plan was supposed to be to lure him to a random house and talk about concrete plans to keep him away from his daughter. Stephen changed that plan, unquote. Angela Ray also testified that Stephen had called her that day to see if her ex could help him, and he explained that Eric was coming over and he was going to help Kristen take her daughter back. That was a discussion about Derek, who wanted the money. Right. At trial, Stephen's lawyer argued, quote, Nobody knows what happened. No one can tell you who is responsible, unquote. However, DA John Best pointed out that it didn't matter if Stephen directly killed Eric, even though the prosecution asserts that they did. All that mattered is that he participated, which was in no doubt at this point, and that means he's guilty of capital murder. The defense also tried to explain away the blood and hair evidence, saying that anyone could have come into the home between the searches. Uh, the lawyer even seemed to be suggesting that investigators were just filtering in and out, and maybe it's possible that someone planted evidence. He kind of he kind of like left the door open for that. However, one of the Texas Rangers testified that the house had actually been locked up in between the searches. So this wasn't a likely scenario. The defense did not bring any witnesses forward to testify. Stevens' trial concluded on Friday, December 10th, 2021, which was only like four days, just FYI. It was like a super short trial. So I thought that was wild that they only took four days to have a whole murder trial. Yeah. I guess if the defense doesn't call any witnesses, it goes a lot faster. Yeah, maybe so. But that's just, I thought that was wild. That like four wild. days. Although I guess that's good for the jury. I mean, <laughs> they <laughs> don't have to miss that much work. Yeah, in and out. <laughs> just make it happen. Yeah. They only deliberated for two hours. And after that two hours, the jury found him guilty of all charges. Yep. And these charges included capital murder, aggravated kidnapping, and tampering with a human corpse to impair evidence. Yeah. I'm surprised mm-hmm. it took two whole hours, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, they probably had to, like, yeah. figure out who was the foreman and, like, ask if there were snacks. <laughs> and, I mean, I guess they probably looked at the evidence. I feel like there would be a lot of pressure. Like, if I were on a jury and I knew that I was going to vote guilty... I would still probably want to look at it again just to know that I did a good job. Yeah. But I'm that person, though, where I'm like, you know what? I just need to make sure. Let me just double check that we did a good job on this one. Yep, that's it. That's the evidence we already saw. Okay, guilty, the end. Right? That's right. So they did. They deliberated. In her victim's impact statement, Eric Torres's sister said, quote, Losing Eric is one of the hardest things we've had to go through. There were so many opportunities for you to stop. You have left his children as orphans. You are a monster with no heart. I hope Eric haunts you. Unquote. Yes. I also hope that Eric haunts him. Yeah. She should send him a picture of Eric. Like all the time. Just keep sending them in the mail, you know? Right. 
I think people should be allowed to do that. Send people ghost pictures yeah. of the person. Why not? Like, that's what you did. You that's should it. have to look at this exactly. all the time. Yep. Eric's mother, Dolores Cortez, said, quote, Mr. Jennings, you have caused me great pain. My family had to experience Eric's absence. Eric's children didn't get to know their father because of you, unquote. Judge J. Weatherby handed down two life sentences for the charges of capital murder and aggravated kidnapping. And additionally, he gave Eric and, I'm sorry, Stephen an extra 20 years for tampering. These are the maximum sentences for the charges. Gary Jennings is still awaiting trial at this time, per the sources that I found. Eric Torres is very missed by his family, especially his children who will grow up without their father, which is just awful. Yeah. And according to family members, he was a very dedicated dad who loved them very much, which I think is exemplified by the fact that he had custody of his daughter and he appeared to have been a really great dad for her. Yeah. And he also was clearly very close to his mom, which is signifies that he's a family person. That's right. It's sad that he lost his life to a group of selfish, entitled people who put their wants over the needs of children. Because if you're trying to steal something, or steal, steal someone, I should say, then you're making bad choices. That's right. Also, I would like to point out that this was a particularly horrible crime, and I feel like normal people don't do that. That's also correct. They don't torture people. I don't even think I would even know how to waterboard someone. No. I also wouldn't do that. I'm yeah. sure you can Google it. I'm sure you could, but man, how messed up do you have to be to waterboard somebody? Extremely messed up. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. like, I mean, you see when they do it to like, you know, potential terrorism suspects, and that that's horrible. Yeah. To do that to somebody that hasn't done anything at all. Yeah. I mean, that's just like being a dad. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's un- it's just unthinkable to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's just, it is. It's just yeah. ridiculous. And then the fact that, like, five people participated in this. Yeah. It's just terrible. And, like, yeah. It's taken them a long time to kind of get through all the cases. Technically, the plea bargains, I don't think, are totally sealed until all the cases are resolved. Because they have, like, contingencies that the other cases have to go forward at certain points. Like, each person's plea is kind of contingent on the person before them. Yeah. But... That's where where they it stands at this point. At least most of them are going to jail. I just really think that Angela shouldn't have gotten such an easy deal. I mean, I get it that she wasn't present at the crime, but based on her own testimony and her text message records, she knew what was going to happen. Yeah. And she also attempted to get help in the form of Derek. Like she actually called Derek. I mean, she could have at least said, "Oh, he's busy." And then not called. And then yep. been like, I hope nothing happens. I mean, that was like the bare minimum. That's still not enough. But like, to actually even call and try to get him help. Like, how is it that she's not getting something worse? That's true. I just, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, if she was willing to go through with all this, I don't know that she can make it through her probation without messing up. I that like, is also true. Yeah, I feel like that's one of the positives about some of this stuff. When they give people... Like, I'm not totally against probation. I definitely feel like sometimes people should get you know, like, like should get this deferred adjudication stuff for things that they have done, especially certain things. Like, sometimes with actual traffic accidents, for instance, like, where they act, where they weren't, like, drinking and driving or something, but, like, something bad happened because maybe they were, like, you know, not paying attention for five seconds or something. Yeah. Like, it's really bad. Like, that kind of is a good opportunity for that. Not always, but, like, sometimes. Yeah. This is different. But a lot of people, though... You know, if you're going to participate in a crime once, what are the chances you're going to do none of the things? That's true. 
Because a lot of times they can't do things like drink and stuff. I feel like I would not make it. <laughs> it could be a little hard. I love wine. So I don't know if I could make it. That, that would be my one that I'm like, can you not put that one on there? <laughs> like, I, I am very reasonable. Oh, well. This case I just thought was crazy. And I thought that people would find it interesting. So I hope that you did. I hope that, that it made you think. And I know, I was going to say, I hope that it made you realize that you should call the police if somebody tells you they're going to commit a crime, but I already know they would do that. So That's right. But you should definitely call the police if someone, now people are going to be knowing right away that if they tell me they're going to commit crimes, that I'm going to call the police. And I'll be like, oh no, like I'm totally fine. You should totally let me go. I'm fine. It's no big deal. No one, I'm not going to tell anybody. Although they might just be like that initial cop and be like, oh well, there's not really a crime here. Sounds like we need to go. Right. No job for us. Well, let us know what you think. I realized today that I'm pretty sure I forgot to put uh, an Instagram thing for the last case. So I am I need to get back in the habit of doing that. So hopefully I'll do that this time. I'm really trying to get back in the in the habit of using this, the social medias for the podcast. But I still apparently have disorder in my life. But I'm working on it. And also, if you would like to reach out to us, you can email us at badaxpod at gmail.com. Yay for Gmail. Yay. You can also follow us on all the social medias at BadAxPod. Generally, we're most active on Instagram, but I have not been posting as much lately as I process my grief from losing my mom. Also, you can follow us on TikTok. We don't have new TikToks, but we do have several videos up there. If you would like to go to our website, Erin is going to tell you about it. We have a great website. It's the best website. It's BadAxPod.com. Go check it out. You can go there. Also, I forgot to tell you about the Patreon again. It's patreon.com backslash badxpod. We have a lot of bonus content, and I think you would really enjoy it. So you should check that out, too. You can help support the show. The show does not bring in a lot of money yet. A lot of people think that true crime shows are all, like, wallowing in cash, which is not accurate. It's a lot of work, but it's not a lot of, like, money. But So it would really be awesome if you were you know, wanted to support the show. Like I know not everyone can or wants to, but like if you do, it'd be really chill. Thank you for listening. We'll be back very soon with more content and we are going to see you then. Bye. Bye.